everyone for being with us today on the Duck Pond Wall. This is a little radio show on WEHC 90.7 where we get to sit and visit with an alum from Emory and Henry College and just kind of catch up on the news. You know, we pretend like we're sitting on the Duck Pond Wall. That's what we do. That's where we catch up on the news. So today I'm very excited that my guest is Chanel Burke Santiago, Emory and Henry class of 2004. How you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing fine. And I was just, I was just admitting to you that we have not seen each other for a very long time, but it sounds like you're very busy. So we're going to get into your very good excuses about why I haven't seen you lately. But let's, let's start with your, with your work. You're working with the, with veterans, I understand. I am. So I work with the Department of Veterans Affairs and I work for a unique part of the VA called the Vet Center. Um, There's over 300 vet centers nationwide, and we also have about 81 mobile vet centers, most of which are like RVs. And Mm -hmm. our um, primary mission is providing readjustment counseling for veterans who served in a combat zone or were placed on combat orders, whether they were in a medical capacity, a drone operator, um, anything like that, survivors of military sexual trauma, whether male or female, reported or unreported. And then we just added uh, two new pieces to our eligibility during COVID, to be honest with you. Um, Those who are in the National Guard and Reserves that were called up either for a natural disaster or to help with COVID relief. And also anyone that was in the National Guard or Reserves that was seeking mental health treatment while serving, they now qualify for us as well. And what makes us a little bit unique from VA medical centers is one, we have non-traditional hours. So uh, we have evening hours, we have weekend hours. We actually build our schedules around the needs of the veterans that we serve. And the other thing is we can see family members of veterans. So a lot of times uh, veterans have their spouses come in. Sometimes it's a spouse and a child, um, especially those who have gone on multiple deployments they have the luxury of seeking family therapy, or if they want to see two different counselors, they can. It's really up to the family and what their needs are. So that's the one thing the medical center doesn't do is provide the service to the family where we do. Well, let's unpack that a little bit, because this is really cool, because you know, we ask people to be in really awful situations, and then we don't always I don't think we don't always give people the right services that they need to really process all that. So this is this is something you all have recognized is a, is a real need. So, yeah, vet centers, um, we were started by Vietnam veterans. You know, many people have heard stories of Vietnam veterans not feeling safe, not feeling comfortable at a VA. You know, they were spat on, called baby killers, every ridiculous name in the book. Right. So initially, um, it was a peer-to-peer program where you had Vietnam veterans helping and talking to other Vietnam veterans, um, helping them cope with um, suicide ideations or, or anything like that. Um, they need someone to talk to. I'm drinking. I'm doing drugs. I just need a friend. That's how we were started. So it, it began as peer-to-peer counseling uh, with no formal training, no licenses, things of that nature. They petitioned Congress, and then in 1977, we officially became part of the Department of Veterans Affairs. And now that was a long time ago. I was kind of thinking it might be more more, more current, no. but that was a long time ago. 1977, and, and what started as 
uh, more help for Vietnam veterans ended up opening up to all eligibilities of, of war. So um, my office in particular, we actually still have a World War II vet that comes in for services. Well, he's being seen virtually now, but uh, he comes in for services. His daughter checks in. Um, wow. He drives. He's all with it. He's the most handsome dude ever. <laughs> he comes in. He's just sharp. He hi girls when he comes in because there's three females um, on the first wall. So he always waves hi girls when he comes in. And so yeah, so we see everyone from World War II um, all the way down to Afghanistan, Iraq, Africa, and everything else that came in between. Well, it, it kind of sounds like the guys from Vietnam, and they, they've had it awful, but it does sound like that by them being honest about what their needs are, it's maybe opened up some doors for more current and more recent veterans. I, I have to agree. Um, being a combat veteran myself, um, hearing some of the stories of Vietnam veterans and pretty much how they paved the way for us. It, it, they really changed the VA health system, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, a lot of the things that they went through trying to get help, seek services, whether uh, physical health or mental health, um, we really don't have those barriers to date. Um, we have more access. Even from the time frame of when I got out in 2004 to now, there's been so many changes. Um, you know, you have services for LGBTQAA+. Um, <laughs> I can't leave out the extra initials. They, a lot of these medical centers now have floors dedicated to only women veterans or wow. um, wards dedicated to women veterans. I went to a ribbon cutting ceremony for a women's veterans ward at the Philadelphia VA. And hmm. oh my God, it was beautiful. And I'm like, well, do I transfer all my services here now? Like, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> yeah, they're coming around now. And then, you know, unfortunately, we lost so many Vietnam veterans due to illnesses and relations to Agent Orange. And I see now that the VA is jumping on burn pit exposures and everything that, that came from being in the first Gulf War and the war, wars now. So I had to fill out a burn pit registry um, because of what we've seen and what we were surrounded by and exposures we had when I was there. And there, it seems like they're trying to get a leg up in the game. So by the time I'm 60 years old, if I develop emphysema or bronchitis or anything like that, they can trace it back to, well, she was in Iraq in 2003. So, okay, let's take care of it. Um, and whereas, the, well, that that alone, Chanel, is a huge change because the government for a long time tried to deny all that stuff with Asian. Oh, Orange. absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, Vietnam veterans, I mean, they just recently started getting help for different presumptive disorders and diseases from Agent mm -hmm. Orange. I've been in my job since 2015, and I want to say 2018, 19. They had like a long laundry list of all these diseases and different cancers that they now recognize is because of Agent Orange. Oh and you feel bad because we've lost so many to prostate yeah. cancer yeah. and skin cancers and other cancers um, that didn't get that type of help. And now they're like, okay, we messed up. So we have to fix this. And I can honestly say, you know, the part of country that I'm in, um, the VA is working hard to try to fix a wrong, I guess is the best way to say it. And yeah. recognize like we have to make these changes. We have to take care of these veterans. So 
Well, you know, it's never too late to do the right thing. And so it makes me happy to hear that they're, that they really are doing, uh, like I say, using the examples of of what happened with the Vietnam vets to really serve everyone better. So that's exciting to hear. What, what is your position there? So uh, my title is the Veteran Outreach Program Specialist. They call us VOX, um, just like the military acronyms are life. (laughs) And my job is to go out and find those veterans that don't know about us. Um, oh, I do that. You know, I so I have a catchment area and I usually don't stay in it. So I, I have a, a two county range that I serve, dabble into other counties, like, yeah, you know, whatever. They call <laughs> me, I'm like, sure, I can come. Um, but yeah, so we with the vet centers, we have um locations that we tackle, most of which are, are county areas. Some vet centers that are more rural, they might have more counties because the counties might be smaller. We pretty much divvy up the area and, you know, I go to all types of events from speaking to student vets at colleges, uh, Mm. Villanova and Rutgers and uh, Penn State Abington, Penn State Brandywine, there's a bunch of Penn States up here. I'm with the Penn State crazies. Temple has two campuses um, near me. So uh, yeah, so I get to do speaking engagements, just meet with them, spend personal time with them, help them out with their options, even if they don't necessarily want therapy, but they're like, look, I don't know how to navigate the VA. It's too big. Who can I mm-hmm. call for education? Who can I call to file a claim? We vet centers try to bridge the gap between the needs of the veterans and their struggles to the right place, right people. So they're not being bounced around and, you know, kind of left in the cold, not knowing who to talk to. So yeah, I get to do that as well. How many folks do you see annually? My vet center, we are in... Uh, I guess, I don't know if you want to say pre or post COVID, but P COVID, whichever way, <laughs> um, hundreds wow. come through um, and yet even you, close to a thousand, depending on what they need. And yet you still feel like there are a lot of people who don't even know, that, don't sure even don't. know how to do it. Wow. I, I meet people all the time. I, you know, I set up tables at events, senior fairs and uh, community events like 4th of July parades. And I'm thinking of that because that's coming up. Um, sure. Things like that. Working with the American legions and the DAVs and all those uh, veteran service organizations that have different events. And I meet people all the time like, well, wait, what's the vet center? You're the VA, right? And I'm like, the VA, but not the hospital. So it, it happens more than you think. Um, they say that we are like the worst kept secret of the VA because more people should know about us. Right. <laughs> um, it's a secret yeah, that like, shouldn't be a secret. <laughs> it's a secret that shouldn't be a secret. And I think what causes the issue is because we're in the community and we're not in the medical centers. That's why people don't oh. recognize that we are VA because my, my office is cool. I'm in this really small strip mall. I'm in between hoagies and ice cream. Like, yeah. I don't get no better than that. You can get lunch, get counseling, get dessert, and go home. <laughs> you come to my place. I mean, most most vet centers hide in plain sight, like honestly speaking. And I think that's where the disconnect is because they don't see us in the hospitals and the VA medical centers. Or uh, VA medical centers also have community based outpatient clinics. They don't see us there. We don't have offices there. We have our offices in the community, and and it's kind of a protective piece because we still see people that are active duty that are still serving. And And they don't want people to know? Exactly. Well, because there's a stigma with mental health and, you know, a lot of, a lot of 
people in the military assume that they're going to get kicked out of the military if somebody finds out they're doing therapy. So we protect them by being in the community, one. And two, the VA nor DOD can see what we do. Our note taking is separate for the counselors. So no one can see. We can see out. We can see VA charts, but they can't see ours. So it was by design that you're not at the hospital. Absolutely. And when they say we will never be in a hospital. (laughs) Yeah. I ask this every time I talk to someone in mental health, but why is it still so hard for us to be honest about the fact that mental health is real, a real challenge and a real thing, and that we need to really be serious about it? I mean, we know a lot more than we used to. Yeah. You know, in my personal opinion, I feel like the things that comes with the stigma of mental health is that, oh my God, they have mental health. They can't function. Mm. Or how are they going to react in a crowd of people at work? How are they going to react in the office? Is any little thing going to tick them off? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that that plays into the, the role of stigma. And, you know, I think it's very cool to see so many commercials on mental health and um, I notice even on like reality TV shows, because that's my guilty pleasure. If it's an epi- <laughs> <laughs> if there's an episode that centers around some sort of mental health breakdown or domestic violence, they have these disclaimers before the commercial that says, if you know someone that mm-hmm. um, it needs help with uh, mental health, please call 1-800 yada, yada, yada. Or yeah. if you, if you know someone that's in a, um, in a relationship that's based on domestic violence, you can, there's help for a call 1-800, this, this, this. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a great start. Um, I think with celebrities admitting they have mental health issues and that's kind of also breaking down those barriers and, and, you know, celebrities, common people look up to them. Like, you know, they, they want to look like Jennifer Aniston or have her hair or they want to look like Gabrielle Union or they, they want to be ripped like the rock. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> yeah, when you have people like that admitting like, dude, I'm having a bad day. I talked yeah. to my therapist today. More people can say, oh, well, wait, the rock has a therapist. Maybe I should have a therapist. Yeah. So, you know, I think with social media and how things have evolved with social media, especially during the pandemic more people are starting to come around, but I don't know how long it's going to take the military. You know, we, we do, we do have a memorandum of understanding with them. So they know that we're treating national guard and reservists because of COVID relief and national disasters. We're kind of hoping that we can help turn those tables. Um, and they know that you, you can, you can have mental health issues and still function like someone else that's normal. I mean, mm-hmm. you, if you looked at me, you would never tell that I have PTSD and I do. So, well, and see, and I was just sitting here thinking, I was listening to you talk. One of the things that, that maybe we don't do enough of is highlighting people like you who are in fact a huge success story, because unfortunately what makes the news are the people who are, who are not dealing well with their mental health. You know, they're, they're not, that that's what makes a headline. And so there's not, unfortunately going to be a headline that says, wonderful member of society deals with PTSD and you know those things don't make it to the paper as much well you know the media tends to sensationalize a lot of things and um you see more negative than positive unfortunately you know I feel like (laughs) the world eats off that negativity they're like give me more give me more give me more I'm starving for it (laughs) and and that's why you tend to see more negative than positive I mean 
I have bad days. I really do. I, I'm not looking forward to the 4th of July. I hate fireworks. It sounds like mortar rounds. I get I it. I get it. I don't do well. Doesn't mean that I'm going to go out and commit a homicide because I hear fireworks. Like, so those are some of the, the little pieces of stigma that comes with it. I'm having a bad moment. I'm having a bad day. But tomorrow I'm going to be great again. You know, I can call up my counselor and say, you know what? Those 4th of July fireworks, they got me. And then she goes, okay, let's start with that. And then I work on it. You you can live with it. You learn how to cope. You learn how to deal. It's not something that I think will ever go away. But just because I have it doesn't mean that I'm a bad person or it doesn't mean I'm homicidal. doesn't mean I'm suicidal. It just means that there's some things going on in here because of a real life situation that I was put into in the military that I I can't shape. So I just have to, you know, do some work and, and, and deal with it for the rest of my life. I want to remind everybody we're speaking today with Chanel Burke Santiago, Emory Henry class of 2004, who works um, with veterans, um, in particular veterans who are, who are working on their mental health uh, challenges. And it's very exciting to hear what she's doing. Chanel, I'm going to, you know, I should have remembered that you were in the service. That was a big part of your identity now that I think about it, but I had kind of forgotten that. And, you know, I'm, I've slept since 2004 and I kind of <laughs> forgot about that. Tell us a little bit about your service. Um, and and where you were and how long you were in the service. I was in for a total of about seven years. I started at Emory a little later than my high school graduating class because I left for boot camp. (laughs) Ah. Um, Training, I went to AIT. I came home for a couple months and then I started at Emory, you know, so I I, I was a little older than other freshmen. And people my age, I was behind them in in class because of the military. So I was in a weird middle ground. You know, everything was going great. You know, served in the military. You know, I was in school and I I go off to disappear and go off and play war games. (laughs) I go off the drill and, you know, and then 9-11 happened. Never forget myself and Atea Palmer was my roommate. Um, we, we still lived in Mawa. Is it called Mawa still? Yeah, well, you know, not officially, but yes, everybody still calls it Mawa. <laughs> yeah, we, we were in Mawa and we, I woke up that morning, turned on the TV because I had to have noise and I saw it and I was like, what the heck? She panics because she's from New York. She's like, I got to call my parents. And I'm like, well, my mom's in DC today. Let me call my mom. And my mom's phone didn't work. I couldn't call relatives in Jersey. She couldn't reach her relatives in New York. And we just stared at the, at the TV. And uh, to see that second plane hit, because when we turned it on, the second plane um, was about to hit. Never thought I was going to war. Never thought of it. I was thinking, oh, my God, terrorist attack. Like, this is crazy. That was like the buzz of campus. Like, oh, my God, did you see what happened? And then they hit the Pentagon. And then the plane crashed in Pennsylvania. And, you know, so it was crazy. And we still couldn't reach our our parents and our family. My aunt who my dad's sister, um, my dad's family is from Jersey City. If you walk down to the corner of her house, you you see the skyline of New York City. It was wow. nothing but smoke. Then I find out my cousin was in the tower because that's where he oh, worked. Lord. And uh, he, made, he made it out, thank God, but we didn't know at the time um, right. because the phones weren't working. Uh, they couldn't catch a ferry home. They couldn't catch a train home. There were no taxis. It was a hot mess. Yeah. And my aunt just said, all I see, saw mm-hmm. when I, when I stepped on my porch was just smoke everywhere, you know? So it was, it was scary. And, and you fast forward on, you got this 
global war on terrorism going on. And we're like, oh, okay. And then in February of 2003, I found out I was being deployed. Mm. And then I also find out there's one, two, three, four, five other Emory students being deployed. And then we ended up deploying together. Oh, no kidding. (laughs) Small world. Didn't expect that to happen, but um, it's funny. Yeah. 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 They took some from my original unit because my original unit was in Rocky Mount, Virginia. And he took a bunch of us and put us with Gate City's National Guard Armory to make one big unit to deploy. And when I get there, I see Cortez Watson. And I'm like, wait, what you doing here? And he's like, we going overseas together now. <laughs> you know, and then I see Purdue and Satliff and Hives. I'm like, what in the, what is going on? He's like, I guess That's we're deploying crazy. together. Yeah, I meant we were truck drivers and, you know, moving targets is basically what they called us. And, mm. you know, it was um, an experience with a capital yeah. E. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, you fast forward, you come home and I'm like, damn it, I got to do another semester of school because I stayed longer because of sociology. And I also find out Dr. Quinlan died when I was overseas. So how long were you deployed? A year. Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. So then you had to come home and, and pretend like just a student, like you had just been through all that. Be normal. Oh, I was I was lucky. I don't know what angels at Emory knew my heart. <laughs> they put me in a room by myself. I had no roommate, <laughs> and I was in the barn. They still call it the barn, or they, they do still call it the barn. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was in the barn, and I had a huge room, and I had it to myself. And I and that was the one thing I told my mom. I was like, I'm going to run this roommate out. I know I am. And then I did I didn't know it was PTSD then. I didn't I knew I was different. I knew I was off. Um I mean, what how did, did it manifest itself? Well, because you, you don't want to be bothered. Mm. You don't want to be bothered, you know. I, I played basketball every day at Emory. I didn't want to touch a ball, you know. Mm. I didn't do anything with the radio when I came back. You were you you worked with WEHC? Mm-hmm. So Randy Wilson and I we used to call commentary for basketball games. And, you know, I did some sideline reporting for football games every once in a blue moon, but basketball was our thing. And um, yeah, we, we did a, <laughs> we did a radio show on Sunday nights where we played like old school and new school R and B music. We thought we yeah. were cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you probably were. You know, at that time we were developing the news station um, it was being built when I was still there. And, you know, Dr. Keller and I talked all the time and she's like, you should be a reporter. And I'm like, yeah, I just, I didn't really like people at that time. I just, I didn't want to be bothered. And so you just, you know, so always, everything just felt different. The things you cared about, you just didn't care about anymore. No, I, I wanted to isolate. I felt, I already felt old. You know, I'm like, I just fought in a war and got shot at every day. Now I got to deal with bouncing freshmen. Like, <laughs> So, and I didn't, like I said, I didn't know what it was then. And I I understand it totally now. Well, when did you, when did you really say, when did you really go, I I need to talk to somebody? I mean, when the things that you're trying to get other vets to do now, when did you do that for yourself? 2012. That was the moment? I went eight years with no help. Wow. And that was because in (laughs) my previous employer to the VA, one of my clients was a Vietnam veteran. 
he came in one day with a hat on, with a Vietnam hat. I never told anybody I was in the military after that. I just never talked about it. And he came in with his Vietnam. And I was like, I didn't know you served. He was like, yeah. And he, he sits down, he looks at me, he's nodding his head. He was like, what branch of service were you in? I'm looking at him like, this crazy Vietnam vet. I'm like, get out of here. He's like, no, 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 no. What branch of service were you in? And I'm like, army, why? He was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's just looking at me. I'm like, what is wrong with him? He's like, um, you getting help with the VA benefits? I'm like, nah, I'm not doing the VA. I'm not going to talk to those people. And he was like, where did you go? And I'm like, how did you know I went anywhere? He's like, where did you go? I said, Iraq. He said, when? I said, 2003, 2004. He said, yep, I'm going to get you some help. Well, well how, did, how did he know something was going on? He just looked at I you? I don't know. I never told people I served. Only three people at my job knew I was ex-military. Something about you. Something about the way you walk, the way you talk to people. I figured it out. And I'm, so I went home and told my husband. And he's like, maybe you should. And I'm looking at him like, something wrong with me? Like I'm flipped out. He's like, no, just take him up on his offer. Go get some help. So I called him the next week and I was like, okay, what day can we go? He's like, Monday morning, meet me in the parking lot. I'm like, all right. So I I met him in the parking lot. I followed him into Philadelphia and he took me into this room and they were veteran service officers. I didn't know what it was then. And this woman came up to me. She goes, hi, how are you? She was like, so tell me about your service. And I'm like, what? I'm like, no. And she's like, but that's why you're here. So uh, long story short, I started talking to her and she was like, stop, you really do need help. She was like, let me get you some VA forms. I'm no doctor, but I'm going to tell you, you have PTSD. And I'm like, no, I don't. I'm like educated. You know, I got a master's degree now. Like, I don't have no PTSD lady. What are you talking? She's like, yes, you do, hon. She said, write down everything that happens to you on a given day. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? She threw some random examples out and I'm like, oh my God, I do have nightmares. I do think people are coming in my house, which is hypervigilance. And I don't sleep at night. So I have insomnia. I get the shakes. I'm very, I'm extra when I drive, like I'm scanning, I'm watching everything. I'm like, oh my God, I start bawling in the middle of this place. With oh all these my people. goodness. And I'm like, am I crazy? <laughs> And they're like, no, it's a real disorder. And my client said, I told you I can get you some help. He gave me a hug and he was like, I'm leaving kid, you're on your own. He said, let this lady help you. She helped me. Wow. You know, my husband's a behavioral health worker and he knew, but he said, I'm your husband first. I can't counsel you because you won't receive it from me. Bless his heart for loving you through all of that and just waiting for you to see what was going on because he's he needed you to know it within yourself. Oh, honey, he stuck it out for sure because he's still here. <laughs> oh my gosh. How long have y'all been married? He's a goody two-shoes. Well, he's very yeah, handsome. He, uh, In addition to being goody two-shoes, he's also very <laughs> handsome. So you just keep that fellow around. <laughs> yeah, he's he's definitely helped me through some very, very dark times and recognizing how I react to 4th of July. I don't like to fly. I have panic attacks when I fly because of the situation that happened when I was picked for leave and they thought the insurgents shot our plane down and we had to do an emergency landing and we had to run on buses. So now it's like when I fly, I get the shakes, I get the heart palpitations, I sweat, it's a nightmare. And he knows, he's like, let me get you a martini. I got to, I got to chill you out a little bit. You know, my kids, 
They know some things, they don't know much. They know I don't like fireworks. Yeah. So when they hear something, you know, they go, mom, put, put your AirPods in and put your music Aww. on so you don't hear it. All right, well, Chanel, we're, just, we're running out of time, but this has been such a neat conversation. I, you know, and I, I want to thank you for sharing um, personal story with us, too, because it, it does put your work in real context because you really understand what people are dealing with. And, and now that you have sort of faced what's going on in your own life, I'm guessing it makes you a better professional for what you're doing for these other folks. When I took the job, I felt like it was necessary to be able to help other veterans like me that are in situ- have been in situations the same as me. Um, it helps them say, oh, well, well, if she can do it, I can do it. Yeah, I, Chanel, I always end with this question. Uh, what What is it from Emory and Henry that you take with you and use the most? So it's funny because there's two things. Um, one, I am a member of Delta Road Delta. I still talk to a lot of my sisters. And the other thing is, I, honestly, is Dr. Keller. You Aww. know, I, I still hear her, remember her government class, like, you have more potential than what you're showing me. So you need to get it together. I used to be like, Dr. <laughs> Keller, like, leave me alone. <laughs> but I love her. I absolutely, at first I didn't like her and then I love her. And she kept me there because I almost transferred. Dr. Keller is the reason I stayed. I'll never forget her. So we'll make sure that we do not edit that part out. Because- Tell her I like 50s and $100 bills for what I said. <laughs> She knows I love her. She knows that she will always be in my heart forever. That's my girl. She's going to be thrilled to know that someone who's doing such great things in the world would have such nice things to say about her. So I know she's proud of you, as we all are. Chanel Burke Santiago, thank you so much. Emory Henry Class of 2004, thank you for what you're doing with your career because you're helping so many people. And I'm just I'm just so happy to hear about your work and so proud of what you're doing. Thank you so much. I feel like I'm blessed and I should return a favor. So thank you. Want to thank everybody for being with us today on the Duck Pond Wall. Please stay tuned to WEHC because there's so much great stuff coming up next. Thanks for listening to The Voice of Southwest Virginia. Mm -hmm.